Hello. This is the house on Valencia Street, and I'll be your host. I use explicit language. Topics of conversation will include ghosts, the paranormal, psychic ability. Also, we talk about truth here, and we let people who are survivors talk and normalize what they live through. That's what the house on Valencia Street offers, partially. So, with that in mind, here we get to acknowledge rape and incest. We acknowledge domestic violence, at least I do, with what I've lived through. At the house in Walla Walla, on the street of Valencia. That's part of the place. That's part of where these things happened. Um, let's see, what else do we discuss here? Uh, therapy, recovery, foster care, emancipation, willful education, 12-step, um, Buddhism, agnosticism, atheism, um, consent, kink, BDSM. Uh, what else? <laughs> uh, I guess service work would be a big one. Uh, I spent 20 or 30 years at humane societies and being the godmother to a couple parents here and there, or godmother to a couple animals here and there. <laughs> I was an aunt to a couple kids too. Um, there's more of that. But um, anyway, here it's an exploration, right? And the house on Valencia Street was a haunted house that I lived in uh, growing up through the ages of uh, childhood through to early puberty. And the house was extremely haunted. At least three of four daughters saw ghosts in this house. And in the last few months, I've compared notes with one of my sisters who's in her 60s and I'm in my 50s about the ghost we experienced, or at least one ghost we experienced there. And as it turned out, it was the same room and the ghost was doing the same thing towards us. We only confirmed those details within the last few months, partially because these difficult topics are hard to talk about. And sometimes we avoid things that are confusing or don't have explanations, right? Well, at the house on Valencia Street, I like to hold truth here and talk about truth. Because in this place, I'm putting a fence around this house. This is a virtual house in some ways because I don't have the income to afford a house, at least the house that I want to live in. So mentally, I create this house and I create a space. I hold space for people who are incest and rape survivors like myself. And in my family of origin, everybody got incested or raped. Everybody. Unless you married into it. And we're talking dozens and dozens and dozens of people. As a matter of fact, the nine children from my father, all of us, incested, beaten, raped, abandoned, foster cared, with a family that supported them, him, to do those things. And that was what they were taught too, see? And we don't get to talk about it outside of this house sometimes, or at least acknowledge truth, right? So that's what this place is for. Here at this house, it's not going to be somebody who hasn't been raped telling me how to talk about being raped. Here, we're going to normalize talking about it. Maybe have a cup of coffee and say, how you doing? I'm like, well, I had a flashback yesterday. I had to sit out about a half a day and kind of collect my thoughts, you know? I had it moved a little bit slow. Because like when PTSD kicks back and when you get symptoms coming back or flashbacks, Everything slows down and you just try to exist through it because this body that I've lived through in my early 50s spent 15 years living through beatings and good things and bad things and sometimes incest and sometimes devaluation, all kinds of things, right? So here we are adults and now what? <laughs> well, here's one way this little strange person does her things. Okay, so what else do I need to say in this preamble? Um, hey, 
a lot of this topic may be triggering and you've got consent. You can choose to listen to this or not listen to this. You can say yes, you can say no, okay? Um, if mental health stuff is kicking up for you, it's appropriate to go talk to a board certified licensed therapist or someone who's got an education in it, okay? You're gonna go with your heart and your mind and your body and your soul and talk to someone and entrust them when you're vulnerable like that. Make sure they're educated, okay? Understand that of that pool of people, one out of four, one out of five of those therapists is gonna have mental health problems that might slow down your growth and maybe make you have to heal and reheal what they did and then then finally get to the work you came to them with okay so keep in mind you got to be discerning use your discernment right so if mental health stuff kicking up for you take responsibility for yourself and go get some responsible professional help that is not me <laughs> This is one case study, one person's perspective of someone who lived and survived these things. Like, why is it that by the time we reached 30 years old, half of my foster sisters were dead? Well, I've got some observations about that, okay? And a lot of it wasn't their fault in my perception of things. It was what they were told that they had to survive through Walla Walla because some of us got it. And a big part of the problem and the reason I'm talking about it here is everybody was just fine with it. Everybody was just fine with the cops coming to our door in that upper middle class neighborhood and then turning their back and walking away because half of them were beating their wives too, walla walla at the time. Now, I don't have statistics on that. I can only sit there and go, why would a human being do that? Why would a person of a particular race, gender, socioeconomic demographic and governmental control access repeatedly turn their backs on people getting beat under the ground and crying and bleeding? Why is that? Well, let's talk about it. Here at the house on Valencia Street, we get to talk about it some, okay? So let's see what else. Um, if you check my notes, I've got a couple resources for 1-800 numbers. There's a suicide prevention hotline there. There's also a mental health uh, hotline you can call that can kind of connect you up to resources because a lot of reasons that people avoid, there's lots of reasons that people avoid getting mental health help. What they're doing is working for them. What they're doing is what they know. Um, or they don't have the resources to talk to a therapist or a counselor. And now let's say you're poor. Let's say you don't have the money to do that, right? Well, there's support groups. There's 12-step. You might want to check out 12-step. Uh, AA is one everybody knows, but the one I'm most familiar with is Al-Anon and ACA. That's Adult Children of Alcoholics and Al-Anon. Um, we work the 12-steps ourselves. Uh, so those are options that you can do to reach out if you don't quite have those, those uh, connections, okay? Because everybody deserves support and everybody deserves some kind of, I don't know, self-love, self-care that way. So those are options for you, okay? Let's see what else. Hey! Guess what? Did you know I've got a website and it's called anchor.fm forward slash MoMA, M-O-H-M-A-H. It was a little nickname I gave my mama. You can go there and listen to all my video. You can listen to all my audios on there. You can listen to the notes or read the notes too and hear about some of the spooky stories from the ghosts that come around. Yeah house on Valencia Street. So that's a place to go and check things out. You can also donate there. Uh, five bucks a month cup of coffee, 10 bucks a month a meal. So those are things that I like. Or it's a microphone filter, which given my audio quality, you probably sense I could use a little adjustment, certainly. <laughs> but showing up weekly and recording this is what I can do right now. And this is a way I can do it. So go check out that website if you want to. And there's some little stories about Walla Walla there you might want to check out. Okay, is there anything else to get to in the preamble here? I think I got the bullet points out of the way. Okay. Do, 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 do. Let's check in, check in. Do, 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 do. It's about uh, August 6, 2022. Let's see, what do we got to get into here? Corrections and updates. Do, 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 do. Here we go. Corrections and updates. Corrections and updates. <clears throat> Hey, last week I talked about Shania Twain because uh, she's gone through some transitions and I was really appreciating her art and her 
her skill set and also observed some observations about her voice changing after she'd had Lyme's disease and several surgeries on her voice. Um, I use the word lousy to describe the tone of her voice. It might have just been the one performance I watched, you know. And after I said that, I was like, put that in a recording. And I associated the word lousy with Shania Twain, which is not how I see her or see. So I also associated a lot of other words with her. But um, after that, I kind of asked my own responsibility. I said, well, maybe I need to evaluate that some. So I went and checked out some more Shania Twain videos. She's got some residency down in LA, um, Las Vegas. And when I was watching her again, I was sitting there going, well, her voice is pretty solid. It's not as strong as it used to be, maybe, but it's pretty solid. It's still doing the hits. And... And then the one that kind of was a humdinger was she had, um, there was a production of Still the One. It was Still the One, but she took her horse out. It was a white horse she took out on stage. And she's performing with a horse on stage. Now that sounds kind of, you know, it might sound like a little hee-haw, the show, but it's not, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. Uh, so if you got, check it out, go, go on YouTube, check out Shania Twain, Still the One in the last five years or so. Uh, I don't have the link right off the top of my head. But I was just sitting there watching the way she's relating to her horse. And her horse is very connected to her. And this horse, she's got several horses, but this white horse, this particular white horse she rides, there's a real connection between the two of them while she's singing the song. <laughs> and given that Mutt, her husband, betrayed her with her assistant, and then their assistant's husband was who she ended up marrying, because that's how things worked out, I guess, over there in, it was it Switzerland they're in? Yeah, they're in a very high rent district, believe you me. Uh, so um, that being the case, uh, I guess I feel a little bit of sense of apology. I don't know if I reflected my emotions about Shania Twain as accurately as I'd like to, because I really respect her, although she's adjusted and changed, and her voice quality changed, and I acknowledge that, but uh, oh gosh, just sitting this week kind of researching that and thinking about her, I was like, I don't know if I gave her enough credit. So Shania Twain, wow, you are amazing. And I honor you and hold space for you. And, and thank you for being a survivor and also being, you were a target of someone who is not honest from what you say. And then that caused a divorce and all kinds of stuff. And that person also helped you become famous because Mutt was the producer, right? Her husband, you know. Anyway, thank you, Shania Twain. And thank you for your connection to animals and horses, for sure. I, uh, I really love seeing that beauty, that connection there. Okay, corrections and updates. Do, 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 do. Another correction and update. I've discussed with the Judds repeatedly on this podcast. My mother loved the Judds. I love the Judds. And Naomi Judd recently suicided. Um, and we talk truth here. We acknowledge things that happen. So um, there's recently been some news about the Judds because Naomi Judd's uh, will was read and she cut, did not address her children. Uh, she left everything to her husband of 30 some years and um, there's no acknowledgement of her daughters in the will. <clears throat> so I was evaluating that because I've got this mythos and this beauty and this love for the Judds, although there has been some deep betrayals and pain with the Judds, right? Trying to survive what they did in a culture and environment that allows men to rape women and not have to ever have any consequence for it, which is what happened to Naomi. Okay. <laughs> That's how Winona was, you know, part of her birth, you know? And um, so they were a great example of surpassing these odds and also using their art and their damage and their beauty and their joy and pain to become business people who are wealthy. Okay. Artemisia Janileski, the great Renaissance Baroque artist, the daughter of uh, famous Janileski Baroque painter, she did the same thing when she was raped by her artisan, famous artist uh, uh, teacher who her father had hired to help her learn how to paint. 
she told the truth, told that she's been raped, and then they put thumb screws on her. They did everything. They did horrible things for nine months. They excruciatingly just eviscerated her publicly. And then he got found guilty and he had no consequence virtually. And so what she did was she created art. She's got art in the MoMA in New York showing the thumb screws, putting her face in all these different, uh, was it uh, Holofernes and um, Rachel? Is it Rachel? I'll have to go back to it. I think that's her famous work, but I think it's Holofernes and uh, the beheading. Yeah. Anyway, um, people who turn art and victimization or being a target into wealth and esteem and knowledge and communication fascinate me. So the Judds are part of that. So is Artemisia Janileski. Um, but the reason I bring up the Judds and their will this week is that um, it's an example of people who have deep love and talent who also are deeply conflicted and can be, um, I wouldn't say betraying, because Naomi Judd gets to do what she wants to with her will. It's just that her whole family lives on their estate. You know, their whole family, you know, the sisters both have, they have about six minutes from each other's door. They talked about famously how they bought this big chunk of uh, property in the home state of Dolly Parton, too. Uh, is it Tennessee? I have to look up the, the compound location. But it's the same state as Dolly Parton State. And um, so, um, but just acknowledging, you know, there's been so much shock about, oh, she didn't even acknowledge her own daughters in her will. Now, Jerry Lewis did the same thing. He disowned some of his kids and he gave honor to some of his other children. Joan Crawford did the same thing with her will. And we saw the film Mommy Dearest. And that film, that's a really complicated history. I'd like to explore that because Faye Dunaway accredits that to ruining her career, that, that role in, in media, by portraying this caricature, caricature of Joan Crawford. Although, there, from what I was seeing, I mean, the way she used her kids as a props it was very similar. I've had that feeling as a foster kid in the past. I kind of look for props, you know. So anyway, getting down to it, um, I kind of want to explore this thing about the Judds because it talks about boundaries, this example. And people are so shocked that Ashley and Winona didn't get any mention in the will. Now, I can't, and that will was drawn up about five years before she died, you know, so 2017. Um, so the next question is, um, I guess what it brings to focus is love and boundaries. And in that case, that's a pretty strong boundary. Even after her own death, she's drawn a boundary saying, I ain't giving it to you. I'm giving it to my husband, you know? So, and everybody knows that that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt a daughter, isn't it? Unless you've got a pre-existing condition, you got a pre-existing agreement where you say, I love you. And I want you to know that this is happening and I got a will. I put it together and this is what it is. So, um, I would think that that'd be heartbreaking to her children, right? And also, again, these are complicated relationships. So that segues into the topic today. The topic today is boundaries. We're going to talk about boundaries today. <laughs> boundaries. I had a 12-step buddy of mine. We, uh, we, the word boundaries, she didn't like the word boundaries. And, you know, a good codependent enabler may not like the word boundaries, you know, and I met her in a support group, a 12-step support group for uh, loved ones and family members of, uh, uh, we're the codependent enabler types in this particular 12-step group. And um, I was good close friends with her for over 20 years, and then she betrayed me. <laughs> so, because uh, I drew a boundary with her creepy brother that was talking about her tits at work, and I said, I don't like that. No. And then when I did that, then they did what conservative religious groups are going to do. 
and they're gonna pariah the Mary Magdalene who tells the truth. They're not gonna see that person as equal or listen to them, right? Or hold people accountable. There's certain classes of people that don't get held accountable for their inappropriate behavior, the gender bias, for example. So um, I won't talk about boundaries a bit today, and I'm gonna dive in and kind of ruminate on boundaries some today. Um, so let's talk about the word boundaries and what that does mean. Um, let's see. So by definition, uh, the word boundary derives from the Latin word or is equivalent to the Latin word terminus. You probably, mm, the root of that, you probably recognize from terminal, terminate, that type of thing to end or cut. Um, the word boundary in Latin also stems from the root of butina, butina, uh, which is a bound or a limit. That's what that refers to. In psychology, uh, the word boundary refers to limits that people set in order to create a healthy sense of personal space. Now, this brings me to a person who studied boundaries a bit, and then I'm going to give you a personal example, which is one reason I'm a little slow to the microphone today, because the house on Valencia Street has had a couple bumps, which is part of the texture in my family of origin, uh, more so than just constant love. It is bumps and conflict. That's more of the tips to be more of the thing. So in diving around and thinking about boundaries, I wanted to explore Brene Brown. And Brene Brown, let's take a look at what she is. She is a six-time number one bestseller, New York Times number one bestseller for her books. And she's got a, a website you might want to check out called Brene Brown, BreneBrown.com. I'll have it linked in the notes here. Um, I'm quoting from Brene Brown, boundaries are a prerequisite for compassion and empathy. And Brene Brown's definition of boundaries is what's okay and what is not okay. That's her simple definition of the word boundaries, okay? Now, if you're a codependent enabler or if you were abused or if you were told you weren't raped by grandpa when you were, and I'm in that camp, whether I like it or not, <laughs> um, you, uh, you're going, to have you're going to have perception issues because you were told lies. You were told to not uh, trust reality because if you trusted reality and were truthful about it, uh, people would be held accountable. And in this dysfunctional environment, some people didn't get to be held accountable. If there was money involved, they get to do whatever they wanted. A lot of times, if they were a white man with money, they get to do whatever they wanted, just like beat my mom into the hospital repeatedly, just like, uh, you know, <laughs> foster care emancipation. Just, but you know what? <clears throat> Howard, who was a supervisor at the post office, uh, who beat my mom into the hospital, who, uh, you know, he got to keep his house. He got to keep his house and his whole uh, estate up there that we grew up on for a while. You know, the stairs that I got thrown down, all those things. He got to keep his house, you know, but the women didn't get to, right? The women didn't get equal, equal space and equal time. And I'm just acknowledging that that upsets me because it's unfair. Okay, and my mama paid the price and my family paid the price. And this is intergenerational. We were told to take this. We were told we deserved it and it was wrong. Right? So, so when you're creating boundaries and trying to figure out what that looks like, it's going to be kind of confusing sometimes when you grew up for 15, 20 years in an environment that said you got to sacrifice your dignity to be here. And that's, that's the language. And that's just, that's mandatory. Okay, let's get to the next parts, you know, kind of thing. So <clears throat> in exploring boundaries, um, there's this clip I have that I'll also put in the notes from Brene Brown talking about, this is from her, the most compassionate people I've interviewed over the past 13 years were also the most boundaried. Um, so I like that concept of people knowing their boundaries and, um, 
enforcing them to create a space of self-care and neutrality for themselves. <clears throat> so um, Brene Brown is a great resource. She's quite popular. Oprah has uh, endorsed her and given her a microphone to talk on in the past. Um, and you might want to check out ReneeBrown.com. Also, that she's got lots of content. If she's sold six number one New York Times bestsellers, there's plenty of content to be had by Brene Brown. <laughs> and she's a researcher and a professor. She's quite educated in this topic. And um, I think she's an interesting resource to turn to. Um, I guess we'll get to the discomfortable, the uncomfortable part today, which is one reason I'm kind of feeling a little sad. I was crying today in meditation. Um, I have a sister who shall remain nameless to protect her anonymity, who I talk about here on the pod, who I go back and forth with because um, compassion and empathy are not things available from her in a lot of ways, and also responsibility. Um, it's an, it categorically, there are large parts that I just, she won't be responsible, her husband won't be responsible for. So we, um, I really struggle because if I let go of this connection with this person, I gotta let go of my whole family. So this is like the last thread of any empathy or compassion that I connect to now and again, although nine times out of 10, I got to cut it loose. For example, when I stopped gambling 10 years ago, because I'm a gambling addict and I haven't gambled in over 10 years, um, <clears throat> I've talked about that some here on the pod. Um, I was hiding and gambling to avoid my mother's death because after mom died, I didn't care if I lived anymore. You know, I was really like the one person that showed me compassion and adapted and made amends and showed me with her actions that she loved me and was responsible. She's dead. And I was like, ain't nobody else in my family like that. They all say, if we got money, we get to do whatever we want. If we're married, we get to do whatever we want. Uh, if we got a big house, we get to do whatever we want. And that ain't the case. They don't get to be a part of my life and do that. See? So, cause we all, we all equals, see, we start as equals. Okay. And if you ain't showing that, and that's not obvious with your respect and boundaries and you don't get to be a part of my life, not anymore. Now, sometimes that makes you lonely. It also gives you about half a dozen real solid friends that are capable of doing constructive conflict that are capable of sometimes making adaptation and amends. And also watching someone over a couple decades go through periods where they're able to hear you go through periods where they're going through divorce or a loss, go through periods where they can't hear you at all. And then they come back around and rally. You know, I feel a lot of gratitude for the patience and consistency to have at least a half a dozen people in my life with a couple decades of history that they do that. Right. So, so this last week, uh, <clears throat> uh, one of my sisters was texting with me cause I only text with one of my sisters and I only allow one of my sisters any access to me. And, um, she was talking about how she was having an anniversary of a few decades with her partner. Her partner, someone that I witnessed bash her into drywall and create fissures and create craters in her drywall. It may have been 10, 20 years since they did that. <clears throat> but even though they say they're a good Catholic, they ain't going to go to therapy and they certainly will never, ever apologize for that traumatic memory they gave me because they're not capable because they got money, see? And if they got money, they can do whatever they want, see? And if you point it out, you're the problem not them. See, so, um, these are some of the things that we're dealing with in this family member that I was struggling with. So this week, um, I've been praying and meditating every day. And my sister, when I was texting with, um, she started in on her denial stuff and going, you know, we're having a celebration, you know, we're, they don't, ha they don't have uh, parties and have people over. They're very introverted that way in some ways, but, um, you know, we've been together and then she was kind of whitewashing it. And I said, well, okay, 
great sister, but also realize that husband of yours tried to get you institutionalized for dementia with another one of our sisters in the last five years. That's who your husband is also. This is also the guy that bashed you into drywall and created a crater. That also happened. He supports you in some ways, although this is also part of him. And in my world, we get to talk about truth. Okay. So acknowledge, you know, you're going to talk to me about how many houses you own and the vacations you're going on and all that stuff, but you ain't going to acknowledge that he creates traumatic memories sometimes or that there's a lot of classism involved and judgment and shaming going on. You know, I wasn't in the mood to accommodate the whitewash, <laughs> you know, because these are real things that happen. And so what she, of course, did was they categorically cannot take responsibility for their actions when it comes to anything they're confronted with emotionally, in my experience. She just can't do it. And I keep trying to do that with this person because I try to relate to this person because I love this person deeply. although the rug's going to get pulled out from under your feet every damn time, every fucking damn time. Well, no, that's not accurate. Nine out of 10 times. Okay. Nine out of 10 times. So, um, and that 10th time might be, there was a witness. So they got to change their behavior because someone else is watching. But if the door is closed, then they're going to change back to their true form. That's, that's what a lot of my sisters are like. Okay. So, um, and it's fairly painful for me. And I was crying to God this morning in my meditation saying, I really would like a friend in my family. I would like someone who's capable of saying, your feelings make sense and I'm sorry. Can I make it better? And then that conflict turns into five to 10 minutes when you can do that. But if you don't, you can't do that or you feel entitled to not do that, then it's just going to be a consistent crappy behavior that someone's going to have to accommodate and devalue themselves in order to be with you. And that's what it felt like this last week. So finally what happened was <laughs> I was sitting there going, you know, this is textbook verbal abuse this person is doing to you, okay? This is, you know, your therapist that you put 10 years into, your support groups that you put 10 years into, or well, not 10 years, 25, 30 years into, they show you. By definition, this is a textbook insult. This is a textbook evasion. You know, you know what this is, okay? Don't matter how many IQ points you got. I've got 150 according to several different tests. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter. You can't change it. You cannot change this person. You can't explain it to them. And if you try to explain to them what empathy looks like or compassion looks like, you're wasting your damn time, okay? It doesn't, and, it, and it makes me sad that after 50 to 60 years, I'm st well, I'm not in my 60s yet, but I'm still trying to find that basic compassion in a person who just isn't going to give it to me, okay? They just are not capable. And that's the price of admission for having that person in your life. The thing is, when you reject that person out of your life, maybe depending on your family, that might be the one vestige of occasional rare empathy you get okay so then you got to decide do i cut that person out entirely because that means i got to say goodbye to the whole family and then i'm adrift right you know well this week i had to make that decision because yet again she was doing this thing where uh whitewash and then ignorance and categorically incapable of taking responsibility you know and you're the problem if you acknowledge it and it was just like i i was just very calm and peaceful in a way i mean it was i was sitting there struggling and it was another text and what she'll do is she'll text at midnight she'll text at two she'll text at four and the thing is with my phone i don't have the capacity to go silent red it's an older version on my android so that means i flinch every time because i'm trying to ignore her texts okay and finally, I got fed up and I said, I don't need to do that. I was like sitting there at my peace of mind, my peace of space. I'm not going to accommodate her, you know, trying to dig, 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 trying to get me to react. And I just finally said, I don't like how you're treating me. 
and you're not treating me compassionately, okay? And your actions have consequences. As a direct consequence of your behavior, I'm now going to block your text messages. You know what my phone number is. I've had the same phone number for over eight, nine years easily. So you can reach me in an emergency. You know how to do that. There's several phone numbers, although you don't get to text me shit like this anymore from this phone number, okay? This is a direct consequence of your actions, and this is a boundary, okay? And that's this is this is this is what you've done okay um bye and i, I just i left it at that and then i wrote that and left it and then i and then i blocked her phone number and that's a, i've never blocked her phone number i've always let her text come through and just dribble in you know and then i've taken the hit when i see this flinch of is it going to be a caustic because she is livia soprano she is tony soprano's mother that's what she gets now that's what she does that's who she acts like okay and so it breaks my heart that I have to do that because she cannot have compassion or responsibility. <sighs> Although I'm doing that self-parenting thing where if she can't be family for me, I'll have to be my own and I'll have to spend my time praying to my mama who showed me about compassion. Brene Brown also talks about the fact in her look of thing when you define words, boundaries and compassion and empathy. Empathy is a skill that you can be taught, whereas compassion has more to do with your integrity or character, right? So um, flexing boundaries is going to be in that self-compassion area, right? Well, thank you for coming to the house on Valencia Street. We've had a little half hour to talk about a couple concepts, and uh, I just want you to know that I'm glad you're here and that you're never alone. And you can have boundaries and you can flex them too. <laughs> takes practice sometimes, right? So um, here at the house on Valencia Street, I want you to know that you're never alone. You're not going to be alone here at the house on Valencia Street. And sometimes, sometimes it's whether you like it or not. And I'm rooting for you. And I want you mentally healthy or closer to health than you could get. Thanks, kids. <laughs>